0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Quite a few things going on we want to catch up on. And glad you have joined us uh, to talk about several issues, including the markets. China continuing, continuing to buy U.S. corn in a big way. We'll talk about that and more with Arlen Suderman from Stone X. Kevin Papp is retiring from his position as Minnesota Farm Bureau president. Been a strong and active leader in Farm Bureau and Minnesota and national agriculture for some time. We're going to talk with Kevin today, look back on his career as Farm Bureau president and some of his thoughts about issues and challenges ahead. And we're going to uh, talk a little bit about a couple of things in my commentary later on. I want to share some thoughts about what's going on at the border right now and also some thoughts on uh, USDA opening up to agriculture to get input To create climate policy for agriculture, climate smart agriculture, as they are calling it. Well, I'll have some thoughts on that a little bit later on. But want to start things off today talking some trade issues. We haven't talked with Kent Backus with NCBA for a while. Kent is senior director of international trade and market access for NCBA. Kent, how are you?
2: I'm great, Mike. How are you doing today?
0: Good, good. Um, your thoughts on Catherine Ty being um, confirmed unanimously by the Senate? Pretty strong endorsement.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that there was a ninety-eight to ninety-eight to zero vote—I uh, I don't think we've had a vote like that in at least since the Bush administration. So that was a clear signal that she is the right person for this position. She has uh, the the faith and the trust of Congress, uh, and I think that it sends a strong message to our Uh, our trade partners that she is the person that we need representing us at the table and she has the full support of our government
0: so she's the new trade representative and she has a number of trade issues uh, to deal with and and i think we're all kind of anxious just just to see what approach uh, this administration is going to take on trade
2: well i think you know having worked with uh, Catherine in her capacity with the ways and means committee she is, uh, she is the smartest person in the room, I mean, hands down. She is going to uh, – she knows the issues inside and out. She knows the process, and she understands people. Uh, so I, I think her knowledge of Congress, her knowledge of the inner workings of USTR having worked there, that puts us in a really good position. But also she has a great understanding of the people sitting across the table. I think for the Biden administration, they're, they're going to review some of the actions uh, from the Trump administration – I know that the, the China deal is one of those that will be uh, – th- that they're going to let play out and see how that, that goes. But there are a lot of other things that will need to be addressed. Uh, you know, first and foremost for us, uh, we're going to have to see uh, you know, some progress resolving an issue we have with Japan's safeguard on U.S. beef. And uh, you know, that is, uh, that's, that's something that's going to be in place for the next 30 days. We're going to see a temporary increase on our tariff into Japan – uh, and you know, we're hoping to avoid uh, triggering that in the future, but the only way to do that is to have these consultations and, uh, and resolve that issue, uh, as soon as possible.
0: Yeah. Let's focus in on that. The U S Japan trade deal has been very successful so far, especially for beef. Uh, you're moving a lot of beef into Japan so much. So you've hit this trigger level that allows them to put on a tariff, uh, Give us some more background on that and how significant is that will it impact our sales into japan
2: well you know mike this is this is something we've been anticipating for a while uh you know as part of the uh the the japan deal uh we we knew that the the threshold is something that we were going to come close to hitting if not if not passing and so for the last several weeks we've been watching that closely in, in anticipation and the government's been pretty you know, they've, had their, they've had their eyes on this, too, so this is it's not a big surprise. But simply put, uh, we are a victim of our own success. We've sold uh, uh, more beef than we were allowed to uh, under, under those preset uh, thresholds. And because of that, uh, our tariff is going to go up from 25.8% to 38.5% uh, for, the, you know, for the next uh, uh, 30 days. Afterwards, that's going to come down to 25%. Uh, and, you know, we'll start over again. The Japanese fiscal year begins on April 1st, and so uh, for the next year we're going to have to watch those levels. Now, if we don't do anything, uh, if we uh, continue to operate under this uh, under the same preset levels, there's a strong possibility that we're going to hit that threshold again. And that's that's not because we're trying to dump beef into Japan. That's because Japanese consumers want it. They're paying very good prices for it. They like the high-quality beef that we produce. Uh, and, and so this is uh, not just going to be, you know, renegotiating this safeguard it is not going to benefit just us. It's also going to benefit Japanese consumers who obviously want more U.S. beef.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a good news, bad news. The good news, we've sold a lot of beef to Japan. Bad news, it triggers uh, this tariff, so hopefully that can be addressed. Uh, let's talk about China. Uh, we've talked about the Biden administration. Uh, their One of their early meetings now with China has not gone uh real smoothly it's been kind of testy uh so we'll see how this progresses but from a beef standpoint what are you hoping to see with china
2: yeah i mean uh, china like japan is is a great market for us we see a lot of potential in that uh in that market just in the last year we saw a 260 percent increase in our sales uh we ended uh, 2020 with uh, over 310 million dollars in sales so i uh, w- Keep in mind, we only were really selling beef there for about seven or eight months. Uh, but you know, China is a fifth of the world's population. And now that we finally have real open access to that market, uh, it's gonna, it's gonna you know, just really perform for us. Uh, big points for us with China, obviously getting rid of the hormone ban, uh, the restrictions on uh, BSE, that really opens up more of our beef for the Chinese market. So we see a lot of potential for growth there. Uh, I think, you know, as far as these broader negotiations with China, uh this is going to it's going to continue to be a priority for uh, the Biden administration simply because we're the two biggest economies in the world and we got to find a way to work together. Uh but at the same time there are a lot of problems that that need to be resolved. Uh and so I I, I can I'm not surprised to you know that the meetings are are not uh Uh, you know maybe as smooth as some people would like but you know that doesn't mean that they're not accomplishing things it means that they're having honest conversations and I think that uh, for us uh, in the beef industry we see a lot of potential in in China we need uh, stable long-term access there and uh, given that we'll be able to develop that market for our U.S. cattle producers
0: all right Kent uh, next time we talk we'll we'll look at the UK and the EU and see what's happening there okay thanks for the update
2: all right. Thanks, Mike.
0: Take care. Kent Backus, Senior Director, International Trade and Market Access for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. I guess in some ways you could look at the the uh, kind of bumpy start or the testy start, if you will, in talks between U.S. officials and China. Uh, maybe that's a good thing because that means we're pressing them on some issues that need to be pressed, and they don't like to be pressed on them, of course. So, But we'll see where it leads. But in the meantime... Uh, Yeah, we're selling a lot of beef into Japan, and it has triggered that tariff level. As Ken said, hopefully that that can get renegotiated and avoid this in the future. All right, up next, Kevin Papp, retiring as president of Minnesota Farm Bureau. We'll talk with him next on AOA. Atoms on Agriculture brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Every Tuesday we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for a round the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
3: Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today
4: a cold front can slow the world to a crawl but with cenex premium diesel your fleet can power through Senex roadmaster xl seasonally enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel so rather than complaining about the cold own it with cenex premium diesel cenex premium diesel diesel that doesn't mess around
5: Farmers and operators don't always have to get a new piece of machinery to get state-of-the-art performance. At Intelligent Ag, our company was founded by farmers and innovators to build smart farming technology to help you get the most out of your ag equipment, meaning improved performance and high return on investment. The next time you think you need an upgrade on your equipment, consider Intelligent Ag Upgrades. We offer flow monitoring and section control solutions on air seeders and fertilizer floaters. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more.
6: Do you know how to keep food safe at home?
7: Clean, separate, cook, and chill.
6: The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to separate. First, use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Raw meat should never touch food that won't be cooked. Then, always keep raw meat, poultry, seafood and their juices away from other foods in the shopping cart. And store raw meat, poultry and seafood in a container or on a plate in the fridge so juices won't drip on other foods. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe.
7: Clean. Separate.
6: For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-Hotline.
0: Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Sinex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's
1: farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams
0: seems like every day I hear that some ag leader is is retiring, and one of those is our next guest, Kevin Papp, president of Minnesota Farm Bureau. Kevin, uh, why are you retiring? You're such a young man.
8: <laughs> I am, but I'm a pastor now, you know, and got that home from a uh, half mile down the road. Uh, maybe priorities change a little bit. No, it's, uh, it, it's something that uh, it's, it's time to... Uh, do some other things on the successful in running for county commissioner last november and, and certainly with those responsibilities want to have the time to concentrate on that we've got a great team at minnesota farm bureau and uh, they'll be in great hands
0: we're having a little trouble hearing you not the best sell signal so hopefully uh that will clear up here in a little bit uh, we're talking with kevin papp retiring as president of minnesota farm bureau so kevin uh uh, kind of look back on your career with the uh, Minnesota Farm Bureau, and I should say beyond that because uh, you've certainly been active at the American Farm Bureau, very active on a national level as well. Uh, some of your uh, uh, fondest memories of your time as Farm Bureau president.
8: Well, it's uh, you know, it, it's got to be the people. You know, and certainly the people are, are that, whether it's at uh, the local level with Farm Bureau and state, and like you said, national. and need you national, know, have the opportunity to do some things with the trade advisory committee. So the um, people is certainly, uh, the number one thing you have the opportunity to to go to a lot of places. But even really at those places, it's it's those people you meet. Uh, but then again, uh, programs and, and policies, things that uh, grassroots farm organization does, is a lot of a lot of gratifying moments.
0: Okay, we are having. Trouble getting a clear signal here from you, so we may uh, may have to cut, uh, drop off here in a minute, but we'll, we'll keep trying. We're talking with Kevin Papp, president yep. of Minnesota Farm Bureau. Kevin, uh, some of the issues you have worked on and are still working on, uh, we've been talking about an issue in Minnesota right now, an effort to pass uh, basically a, uh, a clean fuel bill in the state legislature. What are your thoughts on that?
8: Well, we have some real concerns about. Uh, in connecting our regulations to what California does and what California changes, um, we really have a renewable fuels industry in Minnesota. We were the first state to have the the ethanol requirement. Uh, very different biofuel state, both in production and in California. Um, so we're going to continue put comments in from your perspective, having some real concerns with that and and what this will do to the biofuels industry.
0: Yeah, your state has been a leader in in biofuels and could be a leader with this, too, in in setting a standard, as you said, uh, different from California, but uh, setting a standard that could be looked at as a model for other states to follow.
8: It could be, but uh, we've got federal guidelines as well, and what we're really concerned about is let's not put Minnesota... On an island with their surrounding states, um, we can we can do uh, clean air, clean water, um, everything with state regulations. They need to be our regulations um, and not a patchwork of uh, of different things, and and would really hurt those border communities and those that uh, are close to our neighboring states.
0: So you have con- you have concerns with the bill as it is right now.
8: Absolutely, and it's really not a bill. That's, that's the issue we've got. This is through the rule process, and uh, it, it's not the, uh, the open light of congressional or, or hearings in the state legislature, the opportunity to testify and things like this. This has been done through the administration and the uh, governor's office specifically.
0: Talking with Kevin Papp, retiring as president of Minnesota Farm Bureau. Kevin, another big issue for agriculture is ag labor, and I know it's an important one for your state. Um, The House just passed their Farm Worker Modernization Act, but I know American Farm Bureau has not endorsed it. We'll see what happens to the bill when it gets to the Senate. A lot going on now at the border, and the immigration issue is very front and center again. What are your thoughts on where we are with the ag labor issue?
8: So that, you know, very experienced, qualified, uh, and sometimes undocumented workforce is critical to our success in agriculture. And we've got some real concerns things that have not been addressed uh, in our opinion, but um, hopefully we can make some improvements in the, in the Senate. We're all about continual improvements, and, and certainly this bill needs some improving from a farm perspective.
0: So you, uh, you share AFBF's concerns with some of the aspects of this bill.
8: Absolutely. You know, the one thing we can all agree on is we've got to do something with agriculture labor. Um, it's been a long time. It's a very difficult subject. I think that's why we haven't done anything for decades on it. But we have got to have that workforce uh, to maintain our food security, and we'll continue to work with all the stakeholders and, and come up with a better solutions.
0: Kevin, as you leave this position as Minnesota Farm Bureau president, uh, certainly you're still going to be active in a lot of different ways uh, when it comes to speaking out for agriculture. What do you see as the biggest issues moving forward?
8: Well, I think, you know, it used to always be the disconnect, uh, people that have just another generation away from agriculture or, quite frankly, rural communities. And I think that's a, a concern. But I think moving in the first place is the polarization um that we're seeing uh, the ability the, that are not wanting to work together and just uh, just the polarization, whether it's specifically or if it's just other things, it seems there's no middle ground anymore, and that's that's really what America's all about is that compromise that middle and and hopefully we can see our our leaders uh, at all levels uh, move beyond this and and work together like farmers and ranchers. Uh, we know working together works.
0: There's a big push right now to form climate policies and uh, Secretary Vilsack wanting to create uh, climate-smart agriculture programs and policies, seeking input from agriculture. Um, we hear about carbon markets, carbon banks, things like that. We've, we've heard those things before. Where do you think we're going with this for agriculture?
8: I think there's a, a push. We need to do something. Certainly the weather the climate is changing. Um, we need to address that, and, and we want to be at the table. That's why we're part of a, a bigger uh, coalition as we look at uh, some solutions to this. I think agriculture can bring some things to the table, and, and one from a Minnesota perspective is that increased use of, of biofuels. I mean, that's something we can do right now today uh, by going to, from E10 to E15, for example, something that can make a difference on greenhouse gases. And it's an immediate difference.
0: We've heard about opportunities for farmers, income opportunities with carbon sequestration and things like that. Now it's being called a, a, another revenue stream that's going to be available to farmers. But uh, we've heard that before and it didn't really pan out. Do you think it's going to be different this time?
8: Well, we got you know, to, it, it could be, there's still devils in the details, I guess, as we, as we always say, but, uh, it's something we need to, to be at the table, to talk through. Um, and we probably need to look at what are some new thoughts, some new ideas uh, to help reduce those greenhouse gases.
0: So what are your plans once you're done being president of Minnesota Farm Bureau?
8: Well, plans is uh, you know certainly a smooth transition. As we look to the new leadership team, I want to be as helpful as I can with that. and Also, know enough to stay out of the way uh, when I need to, but I really want to concentrate um, as my role, I'm the only farmer on our county board of of five, so to continue uh, through that, I'll be involved in the Association of Minnesota Counties, um, the Environment and Natural Resources Committee, also hopefully on the National uh, Association of Counties as we look at agriculture and rural issues.
0: Yeah, you'll stay busy, I'm sure of that, and you'll continue to be a a great spokesman for not only Minnesota agriculture, but U.S. agriculture. Kevin, always appreciate your time, appreciate your friendship, wish you the very best.
8: Well, thank you. That means a lot coming through, Mike. I know we've uh, been here a long time, and we're that voice of agriculture that uh, keeps our message out to a lot of people, and we appreciate each and every day.
0: Well, thanks a lot, Kevin. Again, good luck to you. Really appreciate it. Kevin Papp, President, Minnesota Farm Bureau. As I said, he's been and will continue to be a, a strong voice, strong advocate for agriculture, Minnesota agriculture and U.S. agriculture. Going to miss seeing him uh, uh, at a lot of different events uh, that we usually run into him and, and I always appreciate his time coming on and being with us and talking about ag issues. Well, China is continuing to buy a lot of U.S. corn. We'll talk about that and more market news with Arlen Suderman with Stone X, coming up next here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.
7: Let's Talk isn't just an invitation, it's how we do business. Our experts at FS AgriFinance believe that a meaningful conversation is the best way to help our customers reach their financial goals. We'll show you how to use financing as a risk management tool to help spread your costs and manage your cash flow. We know agriculture and are focused on what's ahead to make sure you're ready for it. Talk with your FS AgriFinance specialist at your local FS member company today. FS, bringing you what's next.
9: You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen with this market update. Well, for the fourth day this week, China appears to be a buyer of old crop U.S. corn. Friday's sale was 800,000 metric tons or 31.5 million bushels to China. That would make total sales announcements of 152.5 million bushels of old crop U.S. corn to China here this week or 915 million bushels total before any switches from the unknown category. Now, as we look at the marketplace here so far this morning, that seems to be bolstering our grain markets as we're seeing a bit of a rally and a reversal here on Friday after the sharp decline seen across the commodity and ag sector yesterday. Crude oil, that was the big driver of the downturn yesterday and looking at crude oil here right now today, it's hurting for fresh fodder for the bulls. Crude oil down 37 cents at 59.63, but overall, the grain markets are trying their best to rebound here as we start our morning trade. Over the livestock sector, we saw split trade yesterday as uh, futures trade went lower, but the countryside market fundamentals traded higher. There's hope that Friday trade will be more aggressive throughout the contracts. due to the cattle on feed report out this afternoon. Right now, uh, we see cattle futures lower with hog trade mostly higher. Numbers of the board, May Court up 3.5, 5.50. December corn down a half at 4.67 and a half. May beans up 11 at 14.03 and a quarter. November beans up 6 at a quarter at 12.12 and a half. May bean meal up 4.70 a ton at 4.02.90. May bean oil down 19 points, 53.33. May Chicago wheat 2 and a quarter lower, 6.28 and a quarter. May KC wheat down 5 and a quarter, 5.81 and three quarters. May Minneapolis spring wheat down three quarters, 6.24 and three quarters. April Lean Hogs 82 higher, 95 12. April Live Kettle down 25 at 118.32. March Feeder Kettle down 22 at 135.30. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen.
6: Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a
10: minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute.
9: Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute.
7: Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org/caregiving. That's aarp.org/caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council.
0: Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: Joined now by Arlen Suterman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. Arlen, when China decides they want to buy something, they go all in, don't they?
10: Yeah, they really do. Uh, again, it's curious. You know, we talked to, here quite a bit about my skepticism in the past about Chinese uh, corn buying. The last bundled purchase was in the first week of the Biden administration. Now this one comes just as they're meeting with U.S. negotiators in Alaska. That meeting didn't start off too well, by the way. It was pretty contentious. Uh, but this time there's a little bit different sense about it. This time it's not for shipment at some point in the future. It's for almost immediate shipment in mm-hmm. month of April. So we sense something different is happening here. We're hearing chatter on the ground that Chinese climatologists, who, of course, they believe are the best in the world, maybe they are, I don't know, um, are raising concerns among the leadership in China about uh, the safrina corn crop in Brazil and the weather risks there, as well as how sea surface temperatures are starting to arrange in a pattern that raise risks for the U.S. Midwest summer this coming summer. In other words, they're warning about a potential uh, corn shortage over the next six months, a global corn shortage. So they're buying up stocks and trying to get it shipped right away. So it seems to be a little bit more urgency about this, a little bit more bullishness. So I've raised my export target for the current year to 2. 8, five billion bushels, that's 250 million bushels above where USDA is right now.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So it would seem to indicate, I agree with you, it seems that they see trouble ahead on corn production, and they're trying to get ahead of that.
10: Yeah, absolutely. I think that is the case. We're seeing evidence of that. Again, I don't think that they have to have this corn now. Yes, they have a corn deficit this year around 30 million metric tons, but they've already released 37.6 million metric tons of of wheat out of the reserve. Most of that is feed wheat. uh, 21.8 million just since the first of the year, not counting all the barley and grain sorghum imports that they've done. But it does appear that they want to rebuild their reserves just in case there is a shortage of corn and uh, certainly there's a financial incentive for them to do so as well.
0: Now here's something we don't talk about very often, it just doesn't come up, but it's an interesting scenario. When do we get to a point, or what point do we have to get to, maybe is a better way to ask it, that we feel we shouldn't be selling? that we need to hang on to, to crop instead of selling it. What is that point? Are we anywhere close to that?
10: It's an interesting question because several countries around the world have been asking themselves that question, especially for wheat. We've seen it with Russia, We've seen those discussions in Argentina happen as well. And at and, and what point do we shut things down well in our free market economy we don't we let the market do the rationing Mm -hmm. of that demand Uh, with soybeans we probably should have shut it down already if we were going to do that but we don't we let the market do it and as a result I think we're going to have some shortages of soybeans this summer ahead of next year's harvest and I certainly hope it's not a late harvest this next year for one reason or the other Uh, for corn Uh, We're not to the point about worried about running out of supplies yet, but if we do have a weather problem this summer, it's a whole new ballgame. And what if we have a weather problem in Brazil? It's been extremely wet in Mato Grosso and surrounding areas, delaying the planting of the crop. So at least a third of the crop went in very late, meaning that the rainy season needs to extend into mid to late May in order for that crop to get uh, past its critical reproductive phase before uh we see that grasso it is bone dry. But the forecasts are really going dry once we get past this weekend for that region of Brazil. And right now the models stay dry right on into the month of April, suggesting an early end to the rainy season. Now high on those extended models because the the primary atmospheric drivers are rather weak right now, so they could flip unexpectedly. But for now, the risks seem to be going up.
0: You know, and we're talking with Arlen Suderman of Stone X. It's just interesting that they we're even bringing up this possibility. We're so used to thinking of dealing with surpluses and and sell everything we can to try to reduce stocks. And obviously, we don't know what's going to happen this year, but it's a possibility, something to at least think about of at some point having to really be concerned about where we are with uh, with these stocks levels
10: yeah absolutely and how quickly things can change from where we were a year ago of course a year ago january we signed the trade phase one trade agreement with china um and uh optimism was starting to go high and then the pandemic hit and we were back to gloom and doom by the spring once again uh but then china did start to buy as they came out of their lockdowns from the pandemic Uh, we did see those export sales come up we thought are they going to actually take shipment of them or not and now they did take shipment of the soybeans and now they're starting to take shipment of the corn and then you add into there some weather problems that we had that we didn't anticipate uh with uh a less-than-ideal growing season for soybeans in Brazil, shall we say, certainly turning out to be that for the safrina corn. And Argentina has had a less-than-ideal growing season as well, and now ingredients are coming together to increase the risk for the U.S. Midwest this coming year. Suddenly we're going from worried about all these surplus stocks to are we going to have enough and how high might prices go and what's that going to do to input costs as well as grain prices go up. Inflation is now the name of the game. A year ago, we were worried about deflation. Now it's inflation with uh, surging treasury yields and Wall Street worried about the orderly market because of what's happening with inflation and whether it is ready to handle it or not.
0: I guess there's always something for us to be concerned about. It's, this, it's a different scenario this year than we've seen for some time. And it'll put more focus on this planning intentions report coming at the end of, of this month. Uh, you know, the thought is more acres, which I guess means even if you don't have as, you know, the, if you do have some weather problems, you've uh, kind of spread the risk out by having more acres. You can maybe make up for it in volume, perhaps.
10: Yeah, it's exactly right. And the expectations are kind of around 92 million corn acres and 90 million soybean acres. That's an increase of about 1 million on corn and better than 7 million on the on the soybeans. But that's still not enough to provide you with a, really a margin for error with this strong demand that we have. There is some risk to the demand side with the spreading African swine fever in China once again. We don't think that that's going to be a long-term problem, but until China gets a hold of it, uh, gets control of it, that's a risk that we have to respect. Um, But for now, the demand base seems to be strong, and uh, we can't afford any significant weather problems in the growing season ahead.
0: Well, I guess some of those concerns for now have been alleviated with the rains that have moved across and snow in some places. That looks to many places get give us a chance to get the crop off to a good start. Now, we don't know what happens later this summer.
10: Yeah, you're exactly right. And if anything, the eastern Midwest may be too wet. Um, we're not looking for a repeat of a couple of years ago, but looks like the windows for planting may be pretty tight. There's still some disagreement about how wet it's going to be here in the northwestern Midwest. Certainly, as we look at North Dakota, the last six months have been the driest on record, according to data that came out yesterday. So we're off to a dry start. We need to see a pickup in that moisture. Um, But, you know, some of the driest summers have had wet springs, and I don't want to get too over-alarming or sensational, But we are seeing a lot of changes in sea surface temperatures um, starting to line up with the conditions needed or that tend to parallel years when we have high pressure lock in over the Midwest. And in fact, the last time we had the current setup in the Pacific as far as sea surface temperatures was 2012. I'm not predicting a repeat of 2012 right now, but it is one of the analog years that we're watching.
0: Alright, so what are you telling farmers with marketing questions, uh, based on all we've said, it sounds like the the demand for this crop could get bigger as the year goes on, uh, so what are you saying to them about marketing?
10: Yeah, the temptation is to do nothing, <clears throat> and uh, because prices will surely go higher based on what we just said. And I'd like to keep in mind that black swan events still happen, so you still have to stay active in your marketing. Remember the last big commodity super boom in 2008 suddenly collapsed when we had a black swan event of financial crisis. And while it's low we still do have somewhat of a risk of something like that happening and even though you can have strong fundamentals all of a sudden prices can collapse because of all the money that's in the market So ratchet into these use some of the tools that are available to keep upside potential open um, but always be protecting your downside risk and don't just take it for granted these prices be prepared to treat it like a business Build the equity in your farm and be content and just move on.
0: Sure looks like a wild ride ahead for this year, that's for sure. Always good to talk with you, Arlen. Thank you.
10: Thank you, Mike.
0: Arlen Siderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. Amazing how this has all turned. We'd even be considering the possibility of having concerns about stocks being too low, too tight. Uh, But that's kind of where we are. All right, coming up next, uh, I have some thoughts on the border situation and also on USDA saying to agriculture, we want to hear from you to help us form climate-smart agriculture programs and policies. My thoughts next here on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
3: The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed.
8: My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know
3: it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council.
1: Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-hmm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
4: A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Senex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, Own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
3: For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week, as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts.
6: I've been farming my whole life.
7: Let's Talk isn't just an invitation. It's how we do business. Our experts at FS AgriFinance believe that a meaningful conversation is the best way to help our customers reach their financial goals. We'll show you how to use financing as a risk management tool to help spread your costs and manage your cash flow. We know agriculture and are focused on what's ahead to make sure you're ready for it. Talk with your FS AgriFinance specialist at your local FS member company today. FS, bringing you what's next.
5: Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon Spread Sense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon Spread Sense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more.
0: Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. With Sinex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams
0: on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. I want to wrap up some things today just sharing some of my thoughts on a couple of topics. And before I get to my thoughts on the government seeking agriculture's input on climate policy, I want to just say something about where we are with the pandemic. I realize there are a lot of differing opinions on how to deal with the virus. Now today, I'm getting my second shot. I'm looking forward to getting it done. I understand some people don't want to get vaccinated for various reasons, and I respect Everyone's right to make their own decision. But here's something I don't understand. How after a year of being told we should not have family gatherings, or have kids in school, or go to church for fear of spreading this virus, how can we now open our borders and allow thousands of untested people to come into our country during a pandemic? Now, I know there are many opinions on immigration, humanitarian and political. But just from a health perspective, how can what is happening right now at our southern border not be considered a super spreader event when for the last 12 months we've been told that a backyard barbecue would be? I just don't get it. All right, on to my second topic. As expected, the new Congress and the new administration are pushing forward with climate based policies. Already, the House and Senate Ag Committees have held hearings with legislation expected soon to create a role for USDA to deal with carbon markets. Now, meanwhile, USDA is seeking input from agriculture to develop what they're calling climate-smart agriculture and forestry programs. Secretary Tom Vilsack says his agency is committed to addressing climate change through actions that are farmer, rancher, and forest landowner focused. I do not question his intentions on this at all. I know he feels strongly about these topics. We saw it back when he was secretary before. These were areas he was uh, uh, very much focused on. So I don't question his intentions. But I do wonder about the methods being used, because we've seen this before. These are governmental exercises so often. Whenever I hear that the government wants farmers' input on upcoming decisions that will greatly impact them, I can't help but wonder how much of that input will actually influence the outcome. We see it every time a new farm bill is being written. Members of Congress will often go out into the country, hold what they call listening sessions that usually turn into campaign events, quite frankly. Farm groups prepare and present their positions, and politicians pledge to consider those positions whenever they get back to Washington. But too often, the results seem to be, in large part, predetermined. Now new climate policies and programs are coming. That we can pretty well count on. They're coming. But whether they will offer ag producers a reliable revenue stream and reward efforts already being made as well as encourage more, now that remains to be seen. We've heard promises and assurances along these lines before. And it is important for agriculture to speak up, to have, as we say, a seat at the table. So you have to go through the exercise because this is an opportunity to speak out. But again, the question is, will the government actually be listening? Companies paying farmers for carbon sequestration and creating viable carbon markets sounds promising. But we've heard those promises before, only to see them exposed as ineffective and potentially lucrative only for a very few. So will this time be different? That's the big question. Will Washington pursue a path of voluntary efforts or will they use a mandatory approach? And I think that is an area of great concern for agriculture. And that's why it is important to have that seat at the table and have your voice heard and to show the results where voluntary efforts have worked, are working, and can help us achieve these goals. And for agriculture, it's about can the government help incentivize more of those efforts rather than come down with what looks to be punishing mandatory efforts, mandates saying you have to do this or here are the consequences. Here would be your punishment if you don't uh, follow those mandates. So that is the big question that we're waiting to get an answer to. Will Washington pursue a path of voluntary efforts and incentivize them or come down with a mandatory approach? So right now, we have a lot more questions than answers. The one answer we think we do have, there will be new climate policies and new climate programs coming out for agriculture. That's going to happen. Time will tell if the process will yield answers to those other questions such as how can this help farmers? How can this provide more revenue streams? How can we help you do, do better? Or we'll soon find out if the answers have already been determined. And that, I think, is the fear and the concern. Do they already know the answer and they're just asking the questions out of, uh, you know, posturing or because it looks good? Or are they truly seeking the input of agriculture informing these policies. I think there's an opportunity here, but that doesn't mean it's going to be a good outcome. I'm hopeful that it is. I'm hopeful that it will turn out to be good for agriculture. We've been kind of down this road before, cap and trade and those kind of things, but this time we need to see it really work and pay off and that agriculture is um, given credit for what it is doing now and its role moving forward. Biofuels, carbon sequestration, carbon reduction, so many things that agriculture can play a part in if the government works with agriculture and not against them. We will see. With that, we wrap it up for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great weekend, everyone. Stay safe. Looking forward to talking with you again on Monday, right here on AOA.